All right. Why don't you go ahead and take out your Bibles and take out something that you can take notes with this morning. Everybody excited to be in church today? Good deal. All those babies are cute, especially mine. <laughs> um, go ahead and open up to Genesis 3. Um, as you're turning there, I want to make sure that you, you heard about this tonight. For all those interested, we've got a family meeting. We're going to be doing these a couple times a year, just really broad open space to come and ask any questions you've got about anything, about the church, about following God, anything like that. So that is tonight here uh, at the church for anybody interested. And it starts at six. Oh, it's right there. Nice. Starts at six. So I'll be there at six. <laughs> and it's going to be in the new spot that we have just opened up. If you haven't spent time in there yet, it's awesome. Praise the Lord. So thankful for that. Genesis three, if you're there, Sam, there. Awesome. We um, are going to start off reading. I brought this up. I didn't need this here. Dennis. My uh, in-laws are in town this morning. Dennis and Vicki. Great to have you. Dennis, I didn't say read through my phone. I just said, hold it. Everybody meet him before you leave. Your life will be better because of it. All right, Genesis chapter three. We're gonna read as we get started. So go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. We're gonna start in verse 14 of Genesis three. If you are new with us or if you're family, friend from out of town or different church this morning, we are, uh, we've been covering the last uh, five, six weeks or so in Genesis one and two. So you're catching us in the middle of a big conversation we're having as a church. So jump on in and be a part with us. So Genesis three, verse 14. Uh, last week we talked about sin, the fall, and we skipped over these verses. So we're going to read them this week. Um, verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. We uh, are in the middle of a big series slash course as a church called Biblical Formation. For those of you who have been here, I hope you've been enjoying it. Um, I know I have. And the, when we talk about biblical formation, what we mean is that we are taking these 12 weeks or so and we have this goal. Our goal is to repent from a self-centered worldview and be reformed from a self-centered faith. If you've been with us, have you seen any of that in your life over the last 12 weeks, anybody? 
So far, we've covered two sections. So we're breaking this up into four sections. We've covered two sections. Uh, the first section we talked about was the universe. How do we have a biblically formed understanding of the universe? Section two, we finished up last week on humanity. What does the Bible have to say? And how do we have an understanding formed by the Bible on humanity? And today, we start section three, which is brokenness. And for all of those who just came for baby dedications, you woke up ready for this one, didn't you? Just can't wait to go to church and read about the curse and sin and stuff. <laughs> the first five weeks, last five weeks, um, we've essentially covered God's ideal design through Genesis chapters one and two. Uh, when God has created everything, we talked about the ideal design that he created with, um, he created in mind the unity of heaven and earth, the unity of God and humanity, and the unity of humanity with humanity. Last week in part three of our humanity section, we ended that section talking about sin, humanity's decision to live building its own image instead of living to reflect the image of God like humanity was created to do. This rebellion that we talked about last week has now broken these three unions, this ideal that God had in mind. And as a result, we now live in a world and have an existence where we experience the brokenness of those three intended unions instead of the fruit of the union of, those intended, of that intended ideal. Over the next three weeks, we're going to explore some of the brokenness that we now experience in our lives because of sin. Each of these next three weeks is only going to be, obviously, one message um, on three massive topics. And so this is not going to be exhaustive. There is so much that could be said, uh, so much that needs to be said, so much that needs to be addressed, and so little time to dig into it in this context so the goal of these three weeks is not to be an exhaustive explanation of all of the brokenness in life or even an exhaustive treatment of the individual brokenness topics that we talk about over these three weeks. So what I'm asking for is let's just do this together. Let's do what we can do in this time and let this be a kind of a, a launching pad for you as you think through as a follower of Jesus, as a, somebody who is wanting to be formed by the Bible, how do we engage with the brokenness in our lives? So what we are going for, since we can't go for everything, here's what, here's, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, here's what I'm trying to do each of the next three weeks as we go into these specific topics. What, I, what, what my goal is, is to discuss together how do we have a biblically formed understanding of, a biblically formed perspective of, and a biblically formed response to the various brokenness in our lives. We're looking for what does the Bible have to say? We're not so much talking about life as we're going to talk about the Bible. Does that sound good? So this morning, uh, we are going to be opening up this brokenness section by talking about suffering. Suffering. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so let's start off. What, what is a biblically formed understanding of suffering? An understanding of suffering. So this first part, why? Why is there suffering? Let's go to the Bible to figure this out. Hopefully I'm giving you zero of my own opinions today. Why is there suffering? Genesis 3 that we read sees Adam and Eve receive the, the reward for their sin, you could say. And they are removed from the ideal of Eden. And thus suffering 
is first experienced by humanity and introduced to our lives. This is the first time in the Bible that we see suffering. We could go through the details and the nuances of each of these things, but overall, there was suffering. A biblically formed understanding, or a biblically formed understanding understands that suffering is a part of life. And that's so simple to say, but, but it, is a, it is actually a biblically formed understanding for you to have that suffering is a part of life. That's what the Bible tells us here in Genesis 3. Now suffering is part of life. It is part of life. Life is beautiful. Life is a gift. Life is precious. Life is sacred. And life is hard. Relationships are hard. Health is hard. Circumstances are hard. Life is amazing and life is hard. That's not just an observation. That is actually something that the Bible tells us now. Some, some people, and you may even be here this morning or have had a conversation like this recently in your life. Some people see the existence of suffering, the experience of suffering as an argument against God. Many people have, have said that this is one of God's biggest problems is suffering. It's what makes it hard to believe in God. If God exists, why is there suffering? If God is good, why is there suffering? Have you asked that question or been asked that question by a show of hands? We're a participation church, so. First of all, we must understand that just because you may not like God or may not like something about God doesn't make him cease to exist. I don't like mushrooms, that doesn't mean they don't exist. <laughs> I don't like them, but I still have to deal with them. <laughs> and it is the same with God. Just because there may be something you don't know or you don't like about him or don't understand about him, or maybe there might be something about God that might not be the way you prefer him to be, that doesn't make him cease to exist. You still have to deal with it, even if you don't like it. And you still need to wrestle with that and engage with that. Second of all, we need to know this as a biblically formed people. Suffering should make you question yourself and humanity, not God. Question, or suffering should make you question yourself and humanity. It should not make you question God. We need compassion. We need empathy. We need truth. We need to serve one another. We need healing. But what we don't need is entitlement that thinks that we should be able to do all of this unrighteousness in our lives individually and collectively and then not inherit any of the suffering because of it. Really popular to say. God does not owe us an easy and pleasurable existence. <laughs> Pleasure is a gift, not a right. And actually, when you understand that pleasure is a gift and not a right, it actually makes pleasure that much better. So why is there suffering? I want to give you three reasons for why there is suffering. Number one, suffering exists, the Bible tells us, suffering exists as a consequence of sin. As a consequence of sin. It is a result of something. It is a result of sin. There is suffering that happens as a result of sin. And, and I mean that both kind of generally, but also specifically. 
We could talk about it specifically, that there is suffering that we experience as a result of specific sin. And as you read your Bible, you will see plenty of examples of people inheriting and experiencing suffering as a, as a consequence to specific sins. Because you did this, you now experience that. We, we see that all through the Bible, and we see this in our own lives. We know this. We know this. There, there is plenty of suffering that we experience in our lives as a direct result of poor decisions we make, right? A poor decision resulted in a black eye or whatever. We won't go into it, right? <laughs> so we know this. There is, there is suffering that we experience as a direct result of specific sin, and there is suffering that we experience in our lives as a direct result of the poor decision of others. We don't only experience the, poor, the consequences of our own poor decisions, but we experience oftentimes the pain and the consequence from the poor decisions of others. And when we do, oftentimes we start to question God. But I would suggest again to us this morning that when we experience the suffering that is a result and a consequence of sin, that we question ourselves and others before we question God. So we experience suffering as a consequence to specific sin, but there's also the experience of suffering that is just the consequence of general sin. It, it's just the, the consequence of living in a fallen world that is full of sin. Something happens as a result of sin generally, not necessarily always so specifically. So we could talk about things like sicknesses and diseases and death. You know, sometimes these things happen as a result of a specific decision. And sometimes it seems that these things just happen. They just happen. Natural disasters just kind of seem to happen. These things happen because we live in a fallen world. We could also maybe put demonic and spiritual attack or oppression or activity kind of fitting into this first category here as a consequence of sin. As, as a result of us rebelling against God and doing that in partnership with spiritual beings rebelling, in God, rebelling from God, we experience suffering. We experience suffering now. And we come, sometimes call it demonic attack or oppression activity. Some of that attack or oppression is a direct result of specific sin, specific partnership. There may be specific ways that we partner with or participate with demonic activity in our lives. But some of it isn't necessarily a direct result of specific sin or at least anything that we may be aware of. Sometimes, again, this is just a general part of living in a world that is partnered with spiritual rebellion so some of it isn't necessarily a direct result of specific sin, and that's probably why we use the word attack, right? Why we say it's a spiritual attack. It just came at us, because that's the world we're living in right now. So number one, there is suffering that exists as a, because of the consequence, or as a consequence of sin. Second reason why suffering exists, the Bible tells us that suffering exists as a judgment for sin. The consequence of sin is because you have done this, now this is happening. This is the result of that decision. Judgment, maybe we could put it this way, because you have done this, here is a judgment for that. Suffering can be experienced, again, as a general judgment against general sin. 
We can also experience suffering regarding specific judgment to specific sin. So when we read, uh, for example, in Genesis chapter 6, when we get to the flood, Genesis 6 verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we get the judgment. (laughs) So a specific response to the fact that everything in the heart of man was continually evil. As you read through the prophets of the Bible, much of what the prophets are doing is, is calling out to the people of God and calling out their sin, calling out their decisions, calling it out and saying, bad things are coming if you don't change direction here. It is the mercy of God that he has anointed and raised up a prophet to shine the light and yes, bring the discomfort of conviction, but now you have the opportunity to turn around so that you don't experience the judgment that is coming so we we can experience the judgment to specific sins. As you read through the prophets, things like oppressing the poor, idolatry, sexual immorality, and as a result of these specific things that God will call out in different times, the nation was exiled, or there was an attack, or there was this thing that happened, there was a judgment that came out of these specific judgments on specific sins. Generally, Jesus talked about judgment on those who would reject him, or judgment on the Pharisees who were leading people astray. See, God is just. And the people said, amen. Amen. God is just. God is just. And therefore he cannot and will not leave sin unaddressed. In this life or in the life to come. And that is something that makes him good. That is something that makes him good. That is something that ought to make us love him and run to him. And if there is suffering in our lives that we are experiencing as a judgment against sin, it should be to us a revelation of his goodness. It should be to us a revelation of his holiness that causes us to turn towards him in our own weakness. It should, be a, it should not be a place of pride or bitterness in our hearts that makes us callous towards him. Number one is a consequence of sin. Number two is judgment for sin. Number three, we experience suffering, according to the Bible, as a testing and refining of righteousness. A testing and refining of righteousness. You read through the book of Job, we see a massive example of this. Job experiences suffering as a test to see if he would remain righteous and devoted to God. Jesus' entire existence was testing, was suffering can't tell me that there's anything about Jesus' life that wasn't suffering. The Bible says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the nature of a sermon, being made servant, being made in human likeness, becoming obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. I mean, I can't imagine the, the tension, the, the suffering of just being alive in Jesus, as Jesus. Suffering against temptation, living life in a broken, fallen world that he consciously made the decision to do, to live in. 
the, the, the suffering of, of living this life in the flesh, in relationships. His lifestyle was suffering. He was deserted and betrayed by anybody who ever meant anything to him. He was abandoned by his family. The Bible says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He, he had nowhere to go. He lived a suffering life. And obviously the cross. Every righteous person that you read about in the Bible experienced the testing and the refining of righteousness in their lives. And the fact, that, the fact is that Jesus has promised us this. He has promised us this suffering, this testing, and this refining of righteousness as a test of our faith. The New Testament largely was written to Christians who were suffering. That is the impetus for the New Testament was that Jesus' followers were suffering in the lives they were living. They were suffering for following Jesus. And so these letters were written to them and exhorted them to pass the test of temporary suffering. Suffering tests you. It tests your faith. It tests your diligence. It tests your belief. It tests your love. It tests your desires. It tests your hope. It tests your heart. It tests your mind. It tests your worship. Suffering refines you. And it sanctifies you. It sharpens you. And it develops you. As biblically formed people, we must understand that everyone suffers. And we need to understand that as Christians... In ways, we have chosen a life of suffering. A life of suffering. We must understand that living in righteousness is choosing suffering. There will be persecution, and that is its own category of suffering. But faith itself is the decision to put yourself through suffering. To hope for something you can't see. To be convicted of something that you're just assured of. To hope is to suffer longing. It is to suffer waiting. To live holy is to suffer through temptation and endure. To take up your cross, to die to yourself and follow Jesus. Obedience is a measure of suffering for righteousness. Disciplining yourself and your, de your desires, denying those things and embracing the words of Jesus, the direction of Jesus, the instruction of Jesus. Believing for healing even when you don't see it is suffering. Hungering for righteousness when your flesh is weak is suffering. No one is immune to suffering. And as a Christian, there is suffering that you have chosen for the glory of God. What is a biblically formed perspective on suffering? Perspective, what should I see in suffering? What does the Bible tell me I should see in suffering? Suffering does not testify against God. It testifies to God. I know you don't agree with me yet, but you can still write it down. Testifying or suffering does not testify against God. It testifies to God. Why, why is it that everyone inherently knows that things aren't the way they should be? There's no natural reason to assume that there should not be suffering. 
Suffering is so natural. Death is natural. Pain is natural. Loss is natural. Natural disasters are, in fact, natural. So why? Why do we all have a sense of injustice about the suffering in our world? Why do we have a sense of injustice about the suffering that each of us experience? Why should, it, why should we have any thought that it is wrong? If it is so natural, why should any of us think that something about all this suffering isn't right? The universality of suffering is testifying to us that there is something better. And we know it. We are made for Eden. We are longing to get back to Eden. We all have the, the hope of eternity hardwired into us. It, it's the longing of God that we talked about a few weeks ago. We all have this longing in us for restoration, for healing, for mending, for resolution that none of us can find or create on our own, but we know it's there. There is no explanation for why all of us long for a perfect peace that none of us have ever known if there is no such thing. A biblically formed perspective on suffering looks at the pain of brokenness, looks at the fallenness of our world and sees our desperate need for a savior. And a biblically formed perspective on suffering sees that whatever the cause of suffering might be, by the grace of God, it is always Always an opportunity for reward. The Bible teaches us that suffering is both temporarily painful and eternally meaningful. Praise God. The great reward of your life is to know Jesus. And we understand now that we suffer because of our sin. And we also must understand that because Jesus humbled himself by becoming one of us to step into and live in our suffering, because he chose to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, we are now rewarded eternally through this temporary suffering. The Bible teaches us that God is close to those who suffer. You need that perspective. That suffering is an opportunity to know Jesus by sharing in his sufferings. To hope against hope. To have faith like Abraham even when your body is as good as dead. To rejoice when you are hated. To love when you are persecuted. To pray for those who hurt you. To worship when you're confused. To pray when you want to run. To endure when you want to quit. A biblically formed perspective on suffering sees that whatever the cause of suffering might be, by the grace of God, it is always an opportunity for reward. What is a biblically formed response to suffering? A biblically formed response to suffering. How should I respond to suffering? You are about to be comforted by the word of God that goes against the flow of a post-Christian, post-modern culture. 
and you are about to sense the power of the Holy Spirit stir inside of you like a fresh fire as I read his words. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that by the surpassing, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Through our, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I've got so much more for you. We're just getting started. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering is producing something. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James 1, 2 and 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the 
resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, why don't you underline that, for a little while, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result it's leading somewhere, my friends. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 2 Corinthians 1, 5 through 7. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. What is a biblically formed response to suffering? Don't let suffering harden your heart. Don't let it cloud your thinking. Don't let your reward get robbed from you in your suffering. Turn aside and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to your eternal reward and persevere. This is how we respond to suffering. We persevere. We endure. We take joy. We hope. We draw near to him with confidence to the throne of grace. We are comforted by Jesus in our suffering so that we can comfort others in theirs. That's what we do. All suffering is an invitation to intimacy with Jesus and eternal reward. If you are suffering because of specific sin, turn aside to the mercy of Jesus. If you are suffering because of just sin and the fallenness of our world turn aside to the mercy of Jesus. If you're experiencing suffering because of judgment, turn aside to the mercy of Jesus. If you're experiencing suffering because of testing, turn aside and endure through the mercy of Jesus. If you are suffering because of righteousness sake, turn aside and rejoice in the mercy of Jesus. My dear friends, the day is coming soon that you will either go to be with him or he will return. And when that day comes, you will never be able to worship him again with those tears in your eyes. 
never again be able to worship him in this mortal body that is wasting away. You will never again be able to choose to praise him even while you mourn. You will never again be able to choose to praise him in the midst of your pain. We must be a people, a biblically formed people who in the midst of suffering, lift our own eyes and help each other lift our eyes to look forward to that day. How are you gonna make it through this day? Lift up your eyes and look forward to that day where he wipes away every tear, where death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things will pass away. This suffering is temporary. All of it. Whatever it is, whatever the reason, it's temporary. Look forward to that day. What is the biblical response, biblically formed response to suffering? Live. Live. Live this life that God has given you. Live it for the glory of God. Live for Him. Live longing for Him. Live loving Him. Live pursuing Him. Live believing in Him. Live looking towards Him. Live. 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 You've got to live. Live through the suffering. Live this day for that day. Because it won't be long now. It won't be long now. That moment is coming sooner than we have any idea. And this temporary taste of death in your life is testifying that you experience is testifying to you. Your pain is testifying to you. Your suffering is testifying to you that you were made for something more than this. There has to be more than this. There must be more than this. And there is. And His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Draw near to Him in these temporary sufferings. And you will know for eternity the power of His resurrection. I want you to stand as we close our time together this morning. We always want to worship as we wrap up our time together and respond to what it is that God is speaking to us and stirring in us. I don't know what God's been speaking to you, but I just want to encourage you to respond. Don't, don't do nothing during this time. We're going to have some of our prayer team come up, be up at the front if you need prayer for anything in your life. There may be something you need to repent of. There may be something you need endurance in, and you just need a brother or a sister to stand with you and pray with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, let's do it together. Let's partner together as we partner with Him. God's trying to put some fresh hope in your life, some fresh perspective in your eyes. Whatever it is, let him do it. Let's lift up our hands, let's lift up our eyes and look forward to this man Jesus as we worship him. Jesus, we love you and we invite you, Holy Spirit.
to move us into responding to these words, these words that you have spoken. We invite you to form us by your words more than our feelings. We ask that you would birth faith and hope and endurance in us, even now by the power of the Holy Spirit.